Welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast, the warning signs of employee disenfranchisement. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, the warning signs of employee disenfranchisement. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this episode, Michael Lee Stallard, co-founder and president of ePluribus Partners, shares with us his insights on employee engagement. In this, the third of a series of employee engagement podcasts, we explore the warning signs of employee disenfranchisement, indicators that lost productivity, contribution, and rising attrition may be imminent. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Michael Lee Stallard, principal author of Fired Up or Burned Out, and co-founder and president of ePluribus Partners, a consulting firm specializing in helping leaders create connection cultures to form strong bonds among the management, employees, and customers of an organization. Michael's work has been featured in The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Leader to Leader, Human Resource Executive, and Fox Business Now. He has spoken at conferences organized by the Conference Board, GE, Google, NASA, Johnson & Johnson, and Yale New Haven Hospital. Michael, welcome back to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Well, Nathan, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you back. The topic that we're exploring, and this, of course, is the third in a series of podcasts that we're talking about employee engagement. I don't think could be any more important than it is right now because with unemployment, of course, being the way it is and and folks being asked to do more and more with less and less and recent legislation that's been passed in the form of health care and the like that many experts are suggesting might add costs to employees. Of course, we have ever more need than ever than to get more and more value from every person in our organization. So the topic is extremely timely. I'm I'm really thrilled to have you back on the show. Well, thank you. It's um, I think when you look at the research, it, it uh, just a couple of data points come to mind that show how timely it is. Um, we know from research that 75% of employees are not engaged in their jobs. They're showing up for the mm-hmm. paycheck but not giving their best efforts and. Um, of the 25% who are engaged, we know from research that 60% of them are not aligning their behavior with organizational goals. So the bottom line is 90% of employees are either not giving their best efforts or not aligning their behavior with um, the organization's objectives. So 
uh, there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. Absolutely. And I've seen numbers from the Gallup organization, too, that suggest a real bottom line result is that companies that can engage their organizations better can actually get up to 12% better bottom line results than those that don't. Right, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, I believe, in our discussion, um, and I'd be glad to share some more statistics on that. Well, I was going to ask you, Michael, if you wouldn't mind just to kick us off, because this is the third in, in our series, with a bit of a discussion about the actual benefits organizations do realize when they better engage their employees. Mm-hmm. Well, the bottom line benefit um, that I think really resonates with leaders is that mm-hmm. when you have an engaged workforce that feels connected to the work they're doing, to the people they work with, to their supervisor, and to the organization, they are on average 20% more productive than than the average employee. So in other words, Nathan, they are producing an extra day of productivity each week. So it's a huge impact that an engaged workforce has versus just the average workforce. And Mm -hmm. of course, that, that... trickles through into many different ways. It, it, it affects alignment in terms of are they doing the right things that uh, so that everybody's moving in the same direction. It um, affects the amount of effort they put into their work. Uh, it affects their involvement in thinking proactively so that they come up with uh, new product ideas, new process ideas, and whole new businesses. In other words, innovation. Mm-hmm. It affects their enthusiasm, and we know from research that there's this effect called emotional contagion that when people are enthusiastic, it just has an effect on people around them, and it creates an energy that you feel in the organization and that the, the customers and prospects of the organization also sense. And of course, people are also more cooperative in a workplace where there's a high degree of employee engagement. So bottom line is it's a, it's a source of competitive advantage that few organizations have today. So it's something that um, I think more and more leaders are seeing the benefit of being intentional about engaging the workforce. Now, Michael, with employee engagement being so critical to an organization's ongoing success, I would imagine that leaders would want to recognize and be able to avert any conditions that might cause some disenfranchisement among the workforce. What do you see as being some of the observable, I'll call them behaviors, policies, and organizational structures that tend to disenfranchise employees and lose their engagement? Well, Nathan, let me, let me just um, frame it a slightly different way. Okay. Um, because I think, you know, there are some organizations and some workplaces, um, and, and these things tend to be local in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't tend to find an organization that has a uniform culture. It tends to, culture tends to be local in nature, depending upon the work group that you're in, and research yes. supports that. And I think when we step back and think about our own experiences, you know, we've worked on teams that have been uh, either energizing or energy draining, and you can go down the hall, or, or you can probably... Um, in your experiences, think of other uh, work groups that you observed that either had high energy or low energy. Yes. Some had uh, engaging work environments. Others had uh, toxic work environments. But w- what we generally tend to see is that there, there are some toxic work environments out there and toxic supervisors. But for the more, most place, I would describe the workplace um, that most people experience as indifferent. 
so that people are so focused on achieving task excellence that they forget the importance of being intentional and developing relationship excellence. And because they're not intentional about that, the failure to achieve relationship excellence spills over to affect task excellence every time. And the pattern we see, Nathan, is that there is a, a group of employees um, in the organization who have management responsibility and uh, or are recognized as stars with a lot of high potential for the future mm -hmm. to be in management. Um, that group of people, they are engaged. That's the 20% on average, 20 to 25% who are engaged. But the rest, the 75% are not. And because they don't feel connected to their supervisor, to the organization's identity, the, um, there are a number of things that um, are not happening in the organization, that the organization is indifferent to. It's so focused on task excellence that it's missing the importance of these other behaviors that help people feel connected, that help them feel like partners so that they want to give their best efforts. And let me just give share a couple of quick examples. Okay. So for example, um, most employees are not involved in any of the strategic conversations in the organization. Now, I, I'm not advocating that um, that strategy would be set by consensus or that um, that the, the broader group of employees would have a lot of input into strategy. But having some input and being involved in those conversations has a huge impact on their ability to see where the organization is going and therefore to be inspired to be motivated to align their behavior with organizational goals. Um, so that's one area. A second area is um, that you don't see that the organization is indifferent rather than being proactive about uh, helping the employee develop as, as, a, as, a, as an employee, as a contributor to the organization in terms of uh, career planning and helping them with training and development. Everyone should be learning and growing all the time. Yes. Um, so that's a second area. A third area is just not keeping in people uh, people informed, you know, beyond strategic decisions, but even tactical day-to-day -day decisions that are important to employees, that they're involved in executing uh, the outcomes of those decisions. Um, they Ideally, you need to involve them in understanding the decisions that are made and giving them an opportunity to share their opinions and ideas and, and um, considering those opinions and ideas before making the decisions, if at all possible. Now, certainly there are exigent circumstances that arise where you can't do that. But if at all possible, giving people input, you know, informing them and listening to their opinions and ideas and then considering them will result in better decisions being made as well as a higher degree of engagement and alignment that affects the execution of those decisions. So those are just a few examples of things that don't happen in many organizations. And because mm -hmm. of the indifference um, of management, of leaders, um, to be intentional about doing those things, they end up with a workforce that's showing up for the paycheck rather than really inspired and energized to align and give their best efforts to, the, to achieving the organization's goals. As you were talking about involving people, you know, I can visualize how that could happen in an organization and how I could see that going on. What I'm wondering, though, is there a way to look at these things such that maybe one of them or there's a concept that might show as an early warning flag to managers that says, hey, we're not doing a good enough job at communicating to our employees. We should do better like I said, an early warning system for mm -hmm. not engaging employees? 
Well, I think, you know, it's very hard for managers to see because, of mm-hmm. course, when, when um, the person who's responsible for your compensation, <laughs> your promotion, <laughs> is in the area, you tend to behave in a way that's consistent with their expectations. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what, what they don't get the advantage of seeing is what's going on when they're not around. <laughs> and that's when the real, uh, that's when you find out when they're really engaged. So it's very difficult to do. Um, you know, if you're the type of manager who's really out there um, connecting with employees on a one-to-one basis, you know, getting people out for, say, a cup of coffee or lunch or breakfast or uh, just taking time to get to know them as human beings, then that's that's when you, in those conversations you start to pick up on clues that show that people are not as engaged, they're not as fired up, they're not as energized as they could be. Um, but it, it's somewhat of an art to pick up on that. And I think a lot of uh, people who are good at managing tasks and uh, just management in general are not always good at those areas. So, yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's like Peter Drucker said, where there are great strengths, there are often great weaknesses. And um, so it, it's um, – I, I know you want to ask about uh, measurement um, uh, and surveying later in our discussion – and let me just save some comments um, that uh, I, I think uh, th- that's the best way in terms of an early warning system is to really measure on an ongoing basis so you start to see changes in attitudes. That's much more reliable than, um, than, than uh, just uh, you know, management by wandering around. But that's, you know, they're both important. They're both um, right. sources of information that can help managers see where there are opportunities to improve. Michael, on those lines of performance measures and surveys, could you talk to us a little bit about the kinds of things they ought to look for, uh, the the sort of things that we're trying to measure that would present to a management team or an executive team some clues that they're not engaging the the workforce as they should be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what types of – there's a whole host of behaviors. So let me just share some examples. One, okay. I mean, let me cluster them into three different areas because I think that could help Nathan. Um, Number one, um, there's a a whole one cluster I would describe as um, an inspiring identity. In other words, um, does the organization take time to involve people in strategic conversations? Does it help them? um, You know, so uh, so for example, Bill George, you know, who's who wrote uh, Authentic Leadership and True North. uh, When Bill was CEO of of uh, Medtronic, they every year they had um, at one point in the year they had patients come in whose lives had been saved by Medtronic medical devices, mm-hmm. and um, just share their stories with employees. And um, you know, I know other organizations, particularly in the healthcare field, are great at that. Um, one uh, company I've done some work with, I've done some work in the field of defense. And uh, I remember hearing uh, an employee who told me, a manager who told me a story about he, uh, the, his employer as a, a prior defense company that he had worked at, that every year they had like family day where uh, family members would come in and uh, see the aircraft, the military aircraft that, um, say, their father or mother were working on. And his his kids were so amazed to see what their father was working on. You know, they still mm-hmm. will call him. He was telling me, he was sharing a story. He got a call from his uh, daughter who said, you know, Dad, I saw one of your birds flying overhead. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he said there was just such a sense of pride that he had in 
uh, you know, that his kids knew what he was working on, how proud they were of their father for the work that he did. So, you know, these things make a difference in terms of creating an inspiring identity. So there's just a couple examples. Another um, area, another cluster is what I call human value. In other words, are behaviors taking place that make people feel, that value people so that they feel valued? Um, And and that's somewhat subjective in the sense that people feel valued um, based on different things. So, for example, giving somebody auditory praise uh, you know, makes some people feel valued. Uh, maybe if you give that praise in front of a group of people, some people actually don't like that. They would prefer private praise. Right. So there are all, you know, all these little nuances that you have to really get a sense of you know, what, uh, what makes certain employees feel valued. It may be uh, you know, getting uh, off early to go, having some job flexibility so they could uh, go to some family events or uh, take a class, um, you know, a, a class in the evening, um, things like that. So there's a whole mm-hmm. host of behaviors that uh, focus on uh, human value, and oftentimes they're uh, they're related to just uh, respecting people, um, but also. Uh, providing encouragement and helping them attain their career goals and uh, coaching them so that they learn and grow all the time. Uh, The third area is just what I call knowledge flow, a whole cluster of uh, behaviors that fall under this category would include keeping people informed and um, seeking and considering their ideas and opinions. And in a culture that does that, people that also makes people feel connected or engaged. So those are just a few areas, and, and there are a whole host of questions that suss out those types of behaviors mm-hmm. and whether or not people feel that um, those conditions are present in, in their workplace. Now, Michael, I've seen organizations do, I'll call them cultural surveys, on an annual basis. I've seen some do them on a biannual basis, sometimes even up to three years. Is there a periodicity that you would recommend that they take the pulse of the organization, as it were, with these surveys? Well, I think when you're in a situation where you're trying to make changes and improvements to the culture, Nathan, Mm -hmm. then doing um, employee engagement surveys every six months makes sense. It just really helps to have that um, half-time check at mid-year to get a sense of where we're doing and what we need to uh, push, what areas we need to push on to improve for the second half of the year. I would say for the normal organization that's not going through a major change, a period of change, that um, doing something on an annual basis really makes sense. And um, tying it to the planning process so that when you're going through the annual planning cycle, you do employee engagement surveys, and it provides feedback that then you, that you can then incorporate into uh, a manager's review uh, to help them see where they're engaging or not engaging employees. And, uh, you know, various uh, people and organizations have done a great job at this. I think of Mark Efron, who uh, used to be at Avon. Um, mm-hmm. Mark, is no, Mark has his own consulting firm now. But ah. Mark uh, developed uh, some processes at Avon that, um, you know, provided feedback to managers, and he would narrow it down to a few areas that um, if they were intentional about improving in these particular areas, they would see their employee engagement scores move. So, um, you know, there are a whole number of, uh, of organizations out there. Another one that comes to mind is uh, Intuit. They do a great job ah, okay. mm-hmm. of, um, of just integrating the employee engagement survey process and feedback into the annual planning cycle. 
and um, and you know there's teeth behind <laughs> these measures so that people know that they're held accountable for um, whether they're engaging, you know, they're rewarded for engaging employees, and um, they will see that corrective action will be taken if they fail to engage the people they're responsible for leading. And I've seen something be no more demotivating than when a survey is done and very strong feedback delivered and overtures are made that we will fix this and then nothing changes. Yeah, boy, you're not kidding. It's uh, <laughs> That is demotivating. You know, a lot of people are critical of, well, you know, Jack uh, Welch has a, mm-hmm. a mixed review. You know, some people don't yeah. like them, others do. And, you know, like all of us, we have our strengths and weaknesses. But I'll tell you, I really think Jack Welch did a great job. I had uh, the privilege of sitting next to him at a breakfast one time in New York City, and we had a great conversation. But I really admire what he did. He was very intentional about finding the people that he called, um, who he described as kissing up and kicking down in GE and getting them out because he knew that they, um, and described this, that they they were destroying the trust that GE employees had in their leadership. Right. And so, you know, when he booted people, <laughs> he, he, they were very intentional in saying that it was because this person didn't live up to GE's values. I mean, it's it, it, it's yeah. harsh in some ways to say that. However, it sends a very clear message to managers in the organization that these are these uh, values that some view as soft. You know, they're not they're not uh, uh, quanti- they're not uh, quantitative um, uh, business outcomes, um, but they have their their uh, factors that have an effect on business outcomes, and yes. Jack could see that, and he was very clear about booting managers who were unable to gain the trust and live up to the values that he had set for GE, which were great values, by the way. Yeah, I've heard Jack speak. Uh, I, I haven't been able to sit next to him at a, a breakfast yet, but. <laughs> Hopefully someday. But yeah, yeah there's he, a lot out there, uh, <laughs> the, a lot of wisdom. Um, you know, not, not everything, yeah. of course, that I agree with. But, but I think you know, there's some great things to be learned by uh, from from what he um, he's shared over the years. Now, Michael, when we focus on on surveys, I think of them as a very programmatic instrument to go and get the pulse of the organization. What actions should leaders take other than these programmatic? monitoring methods to make sure that they're in tune with the attitudes and the mood of the workforce? Well, I recommend a couple things, Nathan. Number one, it's very important for managers to take time to meet one-on-one with the people they're responsible, with their direct reports. Mm -hmm. And I encourage them to get out, you know, you need to spend time with them both time that you could think of as human doing time, where you're really working on uh, organizing tasks and and, uh, business, but also you need some time with them as human beings uh, just to get a sense of what's going on in their lives and and, uh, open up and share a bit about your life. Uh, Just connect with them. Get to know know them. And if that's something you're not good at, what I would advise you to do is either get a coach to help you or – Find somebody who is good at it and ask them if they would mentor you on becoming better at um, just connecting with people in general. And you'd be surprised how just that um, that peer mentoring can have a positive effect. 
Now, I would go beyond that also. Um, you know, meeting with direct reports is important, but I would also encourage leaders to have what some organizations like, uh, say, for example, Lockheed Martin. Um, you'll find uh, areas, groups around Lockheed Martin that are talking about skip-level meetings, which yeah. is um, you're not meeting only with your direct reports, but then you're going down and you're meeting with the people who report to your direct reports. Um, and, and not that you want to, you don't want to uh, circumvent the authority of the people who report to you. However, it's important people lower down the chain of command. They want to know who they want to connect with yeah. the people uh, who are higher in the chain of command as well. And it's just a real benefit to them, uh, especially if the leader is supportive of the person, uh, their, their direct reports, to go out and just you know connect with the people who are further down the chain of command. So having those uh, skip-level mm -hmm. meetings on, a, on a, a periodic basis, that's that's a good idea. Yes, and I have been on both sides of those skip-level meetings, and I, I find them to be invaluable. Yeah, oh, I think it's um, – they are. It's, you know, if you have a supervisor who um, doesn't have the trust of his – or her direct reports, then it can be problematic. Yeah. <laughs> However, um, if it's if it's um, done in in the right way, where you're respectful of authority, uh, but at the same time you uh, you know o open open up the meeting for questions and share a little bit about what's on your mind and uh, reinforce the good things that you see your direct report doing, who's their direct report, you know, who they directly report to, I should say. Um, mm -hmm. That's just a, a very uh, constructive meeting to have. Now, Michael, we've talked about assessing the internal environment and doing that through the use of surveys. I was wondering, to what extent do you see an organization's leaders enlisting outside advisors to help them evaluate their workplace environment and their workforce's sediments, whether that is you know, some outside advisors conducting or performing the survey, or even coming in and doing interviews and uh, maybe a little bit more hands-on approach to finding out what the workforce is feeling and, and thinking. And what do you see as the specific benefits that those kind of external advisors can offer an organization? Well, the, the challenge that leaders have is just getting uh, the correct information that's out there, really getting mm -hmm. a handle on reality. That's <laughs> the yeah. old, the, um, the emperor's clothes problem. And bringing in somebody who's not in the organization, um, it just gives, especially if they're good, and I would always, uh, if you're hiring somebody to do work in employee engagement um, or the, the workplace environment, hire somebody who is good at gaining trust quickly with people. That's really critical okay. because they need to assess an advisor who's coming in to say, you know, do I trust this person not to share, <laughs> um, you know, not, yes. not to um, embarrass me or to put me in a, an awkward position with my boss. Um, but at the same time, you know, when, when say, if I'm out there or my colleagues or other people in this, uh, who are good at what we all do, um, yeah. w we gain trust quickly with employees, and we help them see that uh, we all have blind spots. We're human beings. Um, the, the boss has blind spots, too, and it's really critical to get constructive feedback that will help them learn and grow so that everybody benefits from that process. And I think when... Um, when you have those type of conversations and you're good at gaining trust, people open up. 
and they share things that um, really provide some some good input that um, will help leaders. And you know, I, I say this of myself too. I remember when I was uh, heading marketing at, at Morgan Stanley's Private Wealth Management Group, I had a great boss who used to be a trader at Solomon Brothers. He was, uh, you know, he was a real straight shooter, and I'll tell you, he was one of the best people mm-hmm. I ever worked for. We just had a great relationship, and I remember one of my performance reviews. He uh, came, he said, you know, Mike, your team loves you and they're energized and, you know, you're doing great work. However, there's one thing you could do that would make you even better. And that is you need to share some of the development, uh, issues with your team. You're such a good encourager that you're not sharing some of the bad news uh, that they need to hear yeah. to mm-hmm. help them learn and grow. And you know what? Uh, that was a blind spot for me, Nathan. I did not see that because I'm a very positive person. You know, I, yeah. that's how I fire people yeah. up is through encouragement. Um, but there were some areas with some of the people I was responsible for leading that they needed to hear about. And so this uh, boss of mine, John Strauss, you know, really helped me see that, and I thank him today for it. Now, that was a case where it was somebody inside the organization. Um, but I, I would say in general, you know, if you have um, people in the organization who have the trust of employees and you feel that they would share um, information that might be threatening to them mm-hmm. um, with someone internally, then by all means, use that person. But if you're unsure about that, it's definitely worth the money to bring in an advisor who works in these issues all the time, who can gain the trust of employees and gather this information and help you see things that you won't see as a leader. Okay. Well, Michael, to kind of sum everything up, because we've we've covered a lot of ground this evening, I was wondering if you could just give us just the one or two top characteristics of organizations that – successfully engage their employees relative to those that do not? Well, let me, let me just rephrase it slightly to say, okay. because I find it, it's better to focus, Nathan, on mm-hmm. leaders that engage employees than, uh, than okay. organizations, because mm-hmm. you will find in every organization such uh, diversity in terms of leaders who engage their employees and others who utterly fail to. So what I see in the leaders who do engage their employees is, number one, they care about, they are intentional about developing uh, task excellence and relationship excellence. They're good at uh, going out, building strong relationships with the people who report to them and sharing their values that bring about um, relationship excellence in the organization. Now, they also, I just want to reinforce this, they also understanding that task excellence is also critical. Both are, right. both are essential. And you see that in the great leaders. And I think uh, one of the, in business, so that we mentioned, you know, inspiring identity, human value, and knowledge flow. And I would see the, the one that I'm seeing, um, uh, let me say the two that I think are the most important today are human value, that you stay connected as a manager, as a leader to the people you're responsible for leading, that you spend time with them and get to know them as human beings and not just human doings. Um, and then secondly, that you take the time to keep them informed and uh, solicit their opinions and ideas and then consider them before making decisions whenever possible. If you do those things, then I would say you'll get 80% of the way in terms of engagement. So those are really critical today, and they're just not happening happening in a lot of workplaces. Now, Michael, before we close, you have a website, and it's www.fireduporburnedout.com, where our listeners can find a whole host of additional resources 
on engaging and motivating their employees, including your very popular Connection Culture Manifesto. Would you tell us a bit more about your website and the resources our listeners can find there? Sure. That's um, our book website, and uh, we also have a business website, epluribuspartners.com, and I have a blog, michaelleestollard.com. But if you go to the if you go to the book website, it'll have links to all the others. And of course, as you mentioned, Nathan, there's the Connection Culture Manifesto out there. And uh, I'm going to send you to that you could put on your website a download of the digital version of our book, Fired Up or Burned Out. So you can make ah. that available to all of your listeners at no cost. Yeah. And um, thank you. Sure, I think that's something that will really allow people to go deeper, deeper into this whole issue of connection, and it really is critical to bring the best out of employees. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I will, of course, uh, make that a link on the website with the article that accompanies this podcast, and we'll uh, host it elsewhere as well. In fact, we'll put it as part of our brand-new Strategy-Driven Employee Engagement Center of Excellence. Great. Well, okay. thank you so much okay. for um, just allowing me to share a little bit about my work, and I appreciate uh, just all of the great uh, thought leaders and ideas you're bringing to your customers. So thank you for your work. Well, thank you again for joining us, and I'm going to look forward to having you back on the show in the near future for what will be our fourth episode in our series on employee engagement. Okay. Well, thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Michael Lee Stallard for being with us today and sharing his insights on how to recognize the signs of employee disenfranchisement. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Michael Lee Stallard and his book, Fired Up or Burned Out, at www.epluribuspartners.com. Until next time, so long.